This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. UFO whistleblower David Grush was once committed to a psychiatric facility, and apparently he is someone who does not understand normal human social and emotional cues. This is the Propaganda Report's Drive Time News Blast. I'm Brad Binkley. Top story. There's been a development in the UFO whistleblower story. And I know some of you say that UFOs are fake and gay, and perhaps they are. But here's the thing. The UFO stuff isn't about UFOs. That's the cover. UFOs are just being used to justify increased military weapon spending. That's what they'll be used for and possibly move us closer to a global conflict. The UFOs are just how they get us there. We take a ride on the UAP into a global war. And there's some more angles to this PSYOP that I want to peel back today because of the news that came out. So let's start there with the latest development, which is that there has been a leak of they make you think it's David Grush's medical records, but it's not. It's actually a police report that gives details about his medical history. They just don't want to say it's a police report. So Grush said at the hearing that he's been the subject of retaliation due to his whistleblowing, due to telling us the truth. And right on cue, here we have some retaliation from inside the halls of the intelligence community who apparently are trying to get back at him as well as discredit him by releasing private medical information about him that's on a police report. Grush told News Nation in a statement, not a recorded interview, a statement, that he has learned that The Intercept intends to publish an article that highlights previous struggles he has had with post-traumatic stress disorder, grief, and depression, specifically incidents in 2014 and 2018. What The Intercept seems to have gotten its hands on is a temporary detention order of Grush's, which on it reveals that on one of these occasions, 2014 or 2018, Grush was suicidal, and his wife ended up calling for help, which resulted in Grush being transferred to a psychiatric unit and put in an inpatient program where he got the treatment he needed. And the story emphasizes that after this happened, the intel community and the Defense Department accepted that there were no ongoing problems with Grush because he was allowed to keep his highest of levels security clearance. They say he had the highest of them all, and he was allowed to continue serving in whatever role he had at that time. Speaking about this on News Nation with Chris Cuomo is not David Grush. Instead, it's the guy who interviewed him when he originally blew the whistle on News Nation, which is Ross Coolheart, who is looking more and more like one of Grush's many handlers. Coolheart is speaking on Grush's behalf, essentially. And he explains to Cuomo here how they knew that this leak came from the intel community about the temporary detention order. Which, it's interesting that they're calling this a leak. You'll see why in a minute. Now, there was, in the documents that were prepared at the time, there was a thing called a temporary detention order, which transferred him to a medical psychiatric unit, an inpatient program, where he got the treatment that he needed. And this is a document that would be, if the media had done the right thing, it would be in his police department file, in the file in the county sheriff's office. But Dave has checked today because he assumed that the journalist had done his homework and just asked the local sheriff for the files. 
the, the sheriff has confirmed it did not come from him. The only other place that had this information is the intelligence community. So we know the intel community is out to get Grush because they are the ones who leaked a police report about him, apparently. More on that in a second. A temporary detention order is involuntary. They don't tell you that there. This is against someone's will. It's when someone else is worried that a person is either a physical threat to themselves or others or both. And so they call the police and then the police call a magistrate, which are available 24 hours a day for this purpose. And then the magistrate issues the temporary detention order. And that person is then taken away to a psychiatric facility where they are held for anywhere between one to five days, depending on where you are. Mandatory. Just because something like that happened to someone doesn't mean that they won't eventually be perfectly fine and credible. However, when this type of information about someone making such extraordinary claims as Grush is, the media in the old days would pounce on something like this and use it to smear them. Here's how the news would report information like this if it were 10 years ago. Breaking news, controversial UFO whistleblower David Grush was once committed to an insane asylum. That's the angle you might expect the media to take if this were normal times, if it wasn't 2023. That's how people who make claims about aliens are portrayed in all the movies. 10, 15 years ago, that's probably how Cuomo would be portraying someone who made the claims that Grush made. But as Cuomo explains here in 2023, this leak that's intended to harm David Grush will backfire and do the opposite. And what they've done now by doing this is made Grush even more credible. They've made Grush even more credible. They made him more credible. That's peak 2023 right there if I've ever seen it. When a guy who claims that the government is hiding dead alien bodies from us becomes more credible after we learn that he was once involuntarily committed to an insane asylum. I didn't believe the whistleblower's claims until I found out he was once hauled away in a straitjacket. Because one, he had talked about this on his own, so there's no gotcha. Two, he is uh, expressing that he was able to muster uh, the resolve to get treatment, and God bless his wife. The treatment was involuntary. I'm not saying he didn't go get treatment on his own, but what he's talking about in this context, he was forced uh, for helping him to do that, uh, getting the treatment that so many avoid because they're afraid of having the exact conversation that so many avoid because police don't show up with a straitjacket and a paddy wagon to haul them to the psychiatric ward. I'm not trying to criticize him for what he went through. I'm just saying that this is the opposite of how they have traditionally reported on stuff like this. So Cuomo continues to hammer down on how this only validates Grush's claims further and how if you thought the government wasn't pushing back against transparency before, now you know that they are. And in doing so, he actually reveals the most gaping hole in this entire story. Hey, look, if anybody had any question as to whether or not there was hype around this idea that the government was fighting transparency after all of your reporting and what Grush had put out there and what came out at the hearing about them not wanting to show up themselves and keeping other people quiet. Now, you know, 
If it wasn't a FOIA request, the sheriff has no reason um, to lie about having released it because it would be a legitimate documents request. You don't give away uh, private medical information, but that wouldn't be what this is if it was a transfer form uh, based on an incident report. A transfer form based on an incident report. So uh, that could have been asked for. Then it had to come from someone else who had it. it would have to be his doctor or someone in a filing office or someone in a government agency. It was a police report. And the argument here, when you boil it down, is that you know that the intel community is fighting transparency because they leaked a document that could have been obtained legally through a FOIA request. Yet they put themselves at risk of violating this new whistleblower law that we hear so much about when they didn't have to. Why would they do that? Why would they leak a police report that any person in the country could access if they asked for it and put themselves in jeopardy when they could have done it legally. The only reason that I can think of, I'm sure there's others, but the one that comes to mind right now is that they're trying to make it look like they are pushing back against the calls for transparency. They're trying to make it look like they're fighting it. And why would they want to do that? Because part of this op is making it look like Congress is fighting on our behalf against the Pentagon and the intel community and the shadowy halls of government. The people who we don't see who are pulling the strings, they want us aligned with Congress because members of Congress are also seeking truths that have been hidden from them. We are just like them. They are just like us in this pursuit, and they want to show us this struggle going on between Congress and the Pentagon and the DOD. Congress demands transparency. The Pentagon resists, and a back-and-forth battle ensues. It plays out through congressional hearings, whistleblowers, the media. And it takes us on this ride and it opens up these doors that we all discover truths together as they open up. And the truth that we discover won't be the one that right now they're leading us to believe we might discover. It's not going to be extraterrestrial or other dimensional in origin. It's going to be that we followed transparency all the way. And what we uncovered was that this advanced technology is man-made and our adversaries are in possession of it. I've said this a number of times, I know, but this stuff, to me, just further confirms that. It's not a real leak when it's a police report that you can obtain legally. What's really interesting about this revelation about Grush's medical history is that it's not the discrediting one. The discrediting one has already been revealed by this journalist right here, his handler, Ross Coolhard or whatever the hell his name is, when he was doing an interview on a podcast, I don't know, maybe two weeks ago, and he was trying to defend Grush's credibility and assert just how strong his claims are. And he says that outside of some comments from some psychologist and some behavioral analyst, that he hasn't heard a credible critique of Grush or any of his claims, which that's interesting in and of itself. Wouldn't a psychologist or a behavioral analyst be the type of person who would make credible critiques? I mean, he was in a psych ward. Listen to how he tries to discredit the claims made by these behavioral analysts. This is truly an extraordinary, out-of-this-world defense of Grush's credibility. Aside from a weird bunch of guys who claim to be able to do behavioral psychological analysis of facial features. There's been nobody that's laid, as far as I can see, any discernibly credible criticism on Mr. Grush. 
And one of the things those people doing the behavioral analysis don't know about Mr. Grush, or perhaps they haven't taken it into consideration, is that he's quite autistic. You know, he's somebody who doesn't understand what people might call normal human social and emotional cues. He's quite autistic. He's someone who doesn't understand normal human social and emotional cues. And yet, he is the one who all of the UFO information is being communicated to. What if they're all being sarcastic and he's just taking what they're saying literal? Would someone like that, what he just described, not be the perfect person to feed a bunch of information to who they know would take and not really understand the social, emotional communication going on and think that he's telling the truth about it and tell the world about aliens? Would that not be the perfect person that he just described? What an awful, awful defense of his credibility. He just said that the main UFO biologics whistleblower is credible because he doesn't understand normal social emotional communication. I mean, first it was, we know the UFO whistleblower is credible because he was committed to an insane asylum once. And now it's, he's even more credible because he's also autistic. I mean, what's next? Claims by David Grush corroborated by his seven other equally credible personalities, all of whom also were high-ranking intelligence officials. Everything is just flipped on its effing head. All right, with that said about Grush, I want to tell you all a story about a guy named Paul Benowitz. And I'm going to be telling you information that is from declassified CIA documents and Documents that were obtained through a FOIA request from the Air Force and from a HuffPost article and a few other articles that talked about this information back in 2014 and 1991. I'm kind of piecing together from a bunch of different articles and information sources, but some of this stuff is disputed by the Air Force or they haven't spoken on it, and it involves an Air Force intelligence officer. Kind of like Grush was. So, in 1978, this guy named Paul Benowitz, who was an electrical physicist, he lived near the Kirkland Air Force Base in Albuquerque, New Mexico. This is not the guy that was in the Air Force. But from the deck of his house, he had a distant view of the Air Force Base and the surrounding mountains. And he began seeing, him and his wife did, these colored lights zooming across the sky very quickly, up over the mountain, and then they just quickly zoom back behind the mountain, almost seemingly disappearing and then reappearing what looked like miles away, according to his vantage point. He believed what he was seeing were UFOs and that they were flying over the area of the base that housed nuclear weapons. And he also believed that he had intercepted transmissions of those aliens who were flying those UFOs, communicating with each other. Benowitz started documenting all of this evidence. He started recording what he saw in the sky, as well as the transmissions he believed he was intercepting. And he contacted newspapers. He contacted senators, much like Grush apparently did. And he also took his evidence to the Air Force Base nearby, who, maybe surprisingly to him, allowed him to present the evidence of his findings to high-ranking officers and scientists 
at the base. The FOIA requested documents from the Air Force Base that the HuffPost obtained in 2014 that details a lot of this stuff also state that two U.S. senators from New Mexico had called or shown up at the Kirkland Air Force Base to check on an investigation that they believed was going on into Benowitz and the evidence that he had put together and his extraterrestrial contacts. Both times, the senators were told that there was no investigation going on and they were turned away. Now, this is exactly what has gone on recently. Members of Congress have stated, they stated during that hearing, and they have two media outlets later, that they went down to Florida and they attempted to get information that they were told by Grush and other whistleblowers, and then they were turned away and told that they didn't have any of that information. Very similar stories here, decades apart. Assigned to handle Benowitz's case was an Air Force Special Operations investigator named Richard Dottie, who is an admitted spy who comes from a family of spies. And Dottie claims that what Benowitz was actually seeing was secret military projects and that the Air Force did not want those projects exposed because they didn't want China and Russia. This was the Cold War going on at the time, they did not want them to find out about that technology. So to prevent Benowitz from exposing these secret government projects and also to discredit him, the decision was made by the Air Force, according to Dottie, to conduct a disinformation campaign targeting Benowitz. And Dottie was given the job of making Benowitz believe that he was not only correct about what he saw, that they were in fact alien crafts, but also that there was an impending alien invasion. And to do this, Dottie created fake documents. He filled them with disinformation, and he gave them not only to Benowitz, but also to other UFO researchers as well. Now, remember, Benowitz had been talking to newspapers and senators, so he would now be feeding them the disinformation that Dottie was feeding to him. The Air Force also apparently told Benowitz that the place he should be focusing his attention on was hundreds of miles north in Dulce, New Mexico, and they told him that there was an underground alien base there, and they even made a decoy base near Dulce and flew Benowitz over there in a helicopter so that he could see it for himself. This is propaganda of the deed. This is what Edward Bernays did when he convinced the major publications, news publications in America, that the democratically elected leader in Guatemala was spreading communism that was about to infect America, which led to his overthrow because of the reporting our country did on it. You tell them something is true, and then you show them something is true. Propaganda of the deed. Dottie wasn't the only one who was feeding Benowitz false information. In July of 1989, a UFOologist named William Moore revealed in a public confession that he was recruited by someone with the codename Falcon, to lead Paul Benowitz astray by giving him false information. He claimed that he was given his orders by an Air Force Office of Special Investigations agent, and that for four years, he was asked to feed disinformation, including the forged Aquarius document, to Benowitz. Now, the forged Aquarius document is a fake document that details a fake, or what they say was a fake, umbrella program about alien contact. This disinformation campaign also included verification of Benowitz's belief about the Greys, which were the aliens he believed were at the underground base at Dulce. 
So cooperation that they're providing with the disinformation. And Moore also said that he tried to push Benowitz into a mental breakdown by feeding him this false information about aliens. And this was corroborated, all of his claims, by a declassified CIA document that claims Moore and Richard Doddy, the spy, the Air Force spy, were responsible for a disinformation campaign against Benowitz. Moore also suggested that there were others in the UFO community who had made deals with the government to spread disinformation. Benowitz ultimately, after years of this, like a decade, became super paranoid. He became obsessed with the belief that aliens occupied that underground base and that they were surveilling the public, gathering intel, that they were mutilating cows, and that they were abducting people, all in preparation for an invasion in which they were going to take over the planet. In fact, he got so paranoid that in August of 1998, Benowitz accused his wife of being controlled by extraterrestrials, and after attempting to barricade himself in his home using sandbags, his family had him admitted to a mental health unit. Kind of like Gresh was. Maybe the circumstances were different. This actually happened on three separate occasions to Benowitz that he was committed to a a psychiatric facility. He had also made claims that aliens were coming through the walls of his house at night and injecting him with chemicals. And he was eventually hospitalized for what was called exhaustion. And he died on June 23rd. 2003. Okay, here's the thing. Dottie is a spy, as I said, and he comes from a family of spies, and he obviously worked in covert operations with the Air Force like Grush did. He's also changed his story about what happened a number of times, all things that tell us that Dottie is not someone who should really be believed. You can look at the content of his information, but not a trustworthy person. And Even though much of the information about the disinformation campaign against Benowitz was corroborated or is corroborated by declassified CIA documents and FOIA-obtained Air Force documents, those very documents detail in them a disinformation campaign that involves the creation and dissemination of fake official documents. How do we know these are real? How much of this is true? He does seem to have been involved in conducting this disinformation campaign against Benowitz, but was it really for the purpose of covering up secret military projects that Benowitz had stumbled upon thinking he was seeing UFOs? Not everyone is convinced that that's the case because apparently Benowitz was a very patriotic guy, and he had told Dottie that if what he was seeing in the sky was actually a secret military program, that he would back off and he wouldn't tell anyone about it because he didn't want to reveal government secrets to the Russians or to China during the Cold War. So it would seem, based on this, that they wouldn't have to conduct an elaborate disinformation campaign to prevent him from exposing those secret programs. So why else might they have done it? The revelations about this disinformation campaign in and of itself, they came out in 1989 when that Moore guy, the UFOologist who they roped in, made the public confession at that UFO conference about his role in this disinformation campaign targeting Benowitz. Subsequently, the documents came out corroborating, uh, you know, I'll use quotes there, and Dottie has admitted his role publicly. 
A lot of people believe that that was a limited hangout, that they revealed that a disinformation campaign about UFOs was conducted while not revealing the actual scale and scope of that campaign. And the theory is that the disinformation campaign was not actually targeting just Benowitz and trying to prevent him from exposing something he had stumbled upon. It was much broader than that. It was targeting the UFO community as a whole, with the idea being that this was a Cold War going on right now. They wanted to protect secrets, and these UFO researchers were constantly making FOIA requests, constantly asking questions and doing research, and threatening with that research work that they did to expose actual real military projects that needed to remain a secret, especially in the context of the Cold War. And so they wanted to discredit the entire UFO community, as well as make it hard for them to ever get any real answers for anything, leading them on wild goose chases. So to do this, they targeted Benowitz before he ever saw those lights up in the sky, identifying him at a local meeting about cow mutilations that apparently one of the high-ranking Air Force base guys was at, and that's where he first encountered Benowitz. And they believed Benowitz. They saw that he was seen as someone who had credibility in the UFO community, in large part due to his expertise in radio communication electronics, I believe. And so the Air Force then set up this whole operation where they intentionally projected those lights up in the sky or however they did it for the purpose of getting Benowitz's attention and then luring him in to the belief that what he was seeing was UFOs and sending him down the rabbit hole of alien bases, greys, uh, uh, coming invasion, so that he would take that information and with his credible voice in the UFO community, spread it to them, which they would then believe it, and they would also go on these wild goose chases, discrediting themselves in the process, among other people. They also allegedly projected the radio transmissions that Benowitz thought he was intercepting into his house, I think with the help of the NSA is the claim, so that he would discover them and think he was intercepting them and think that they were alien in origin. They had also identified that Moore guy, the UFOologist who made the public confession in 89, as someone who was trusted in the UFO community. And they actually got him to knowingly spread the disinformation to not only Benowitz, but to the UFO community as well. So the story is a convoluted tale of UFOs, disinformation within disinformation and psyops. Despite all of this, despite Dottie's admission that he played a role in this disinformation campaign, a big one, even if that admission is a limited hangout in and of itself, Dottie still claims that while many of the specifics he told Benowitz were false, the core of the story about UFOs, that we've been visited by aliens and that the government knows and that they're covering it up, is true. But again, he's a spy and he's not to be believed regardless of what he says. He's an agent of confusion. Here's Dottie in an interview from years ago, sounding almost exactly like David Grush sounds today. I was selected to participate in a, a special access program within the counterintelligence community. My, my supervisor just selected me and said, you're going to be briefed into a program. You're going to be responsible for investigating everything associated with this program. The first part of the briefing dealt with how the United States Air Force were countering unauthorized disclosure of technology to the public by using the UFO phenomena as a cover. And then the second part of the, the briefing was where we were actually shown and, and briefed uh, about the, the United States government's uh, um, involvement with uh, extraterrestrials since, since the late 1940s. Well, they showed us a lot of things. They showed us a film, which was a late 40s or early 50s film, of a recovery operation, which they talked about as being in Roswell. They recovery operation, 1940s, although Gr Grush said 30s, but this is a similar story that he told News Nation and Congress.
showed crash debris, they showed extraterrestrial bodies. And then there was also a briefing showing a, a live alien sitting in a room talking to people. They showed him the biologics. Grush did not go as far to say there was a live alien talking to people. And then the narrator of this film talked about the continuation of a connection between the United States government and extraterrestrial civilizations. After viewing this, I was not sure if it was real, if it was, uh, they presented it to us for some reason, maybe some kind of psychological conditioning. Um, I don't think I initially believed any of it. Same thing Grush said. But uh, after the, the film was over with, an Air Force colonel in uniform then started talking about the, the operation, the program, what, how, we, how the United States government. The program, which is what Grush calls it. And it was always the United States government. It wasn't Air Force or Army. It was the United States government. How they progressed from the early days, meaning the, the crash retrieval operations in the late 40s. Crash retrieval operations. Until now, which was the late 70s. And then the more he spoke, the more I realized that what I saw was real. I mean, I, I, this guy wouldn't be sitting here, standing here talking to us. Uh, with the people in the room, uh, briefing into this high-level program if, if it was if it was hoax. That's the exact same claim that Grush made. And the reason why he believed them, they wouldn't be telling me this. I know these are high-ranking officials. Uh, why would they lie to me? That's what happened. Two crashes, one in Roswell and one West. They didn't find the craft for a couple of years. It was all one crash, but they took them a couple of years to find the second crash. So what does that mean? Does that lend more or less credibility to Grush's claims, seeing as they're identical in nature almost? I mean... Same thing, crash and retrieval program, Air Force, high-ranking officials assured him it's true. The biologics, the talking alien, maybe they, they rolled that one back. If, if Grush comes out with a talking alien claim, then we know we're getting this from the same playbook here. I don't know. You decide. I don't believe anything these people say. I believe aliens probably exist. I believe nothing that these Air Force intel officers who are admittedly involved in covert operations and this guy, disinformation campaign, say. Here's another clip from a Showtime show called UFO of Dottie taking the talking alien even further. In 1947, two craft crashed in New Mexico. They collided, and one crashed near Corona, New Mexico, which is public record. The second craft crashed way out west of Magdalena, New Mexico, and that wasn't found until two years later. But the one that crashed in Corona, they also found a live alien. That live alien was named Eva, and he was... Eva, so I guess they named it Eva. They didn't find the alien, and it said, Hi, I'm Eva. I need some help getting this thing back up in the air. It was transported to, it was a, ma a male, it was transported to Los Alamos, where he, he lived out his life. Eva the male alien. Maybe it's Eva the they alien. Sounds like there could be some misgendering going on. He died in 1952. But during that time period that he was with us, he told us a plethora of information about what they have learned about the universe and what their technology is. Their technology is probably uh, estimated to be about 50,000 years ahead of us. <laughs> 50,000 years ahead of us. That would be some pretty advanced technology, that's for sure. That's all I got on that. Make of it what you will. You know my thoughts on it. Military spending, global conflict. It is weird how similar these stories are. They do recycle their propaganda. Maybe that's simply what we're seeing here. And we have Grush as a new agent of propaganda. I don't know if he's willing or unwilling. Who knows? What do you guys think? That's where I'm going to wrap up the show. Thank you guys for listening and have a fantastic rest of your day.